Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. What's going on, people's citizens, if you will? I say this every episode, but I got to thank you so much for making this show part of your podcasting diet and share the show if you want other people to hop on with you. NewAmsterdam.com and uh, social media handles are at New Amsterdam on Instagram and at New underscore Amsterdam on that. So let's, uh, you know, I have this giant monkey on my back. I was supposed to work on my memoir, but... I am totally procrastinating, and that is okay every once in a while. But my guest today is a writer, and she doesn't procrastinate. She does the opposite. She's actually committed to her craft that she wrote a little bit daily to get one of her recent projects off the ground. Dominic Carson uh, is an interesting person, to say the least. Understanding what she wants to do from an early age, she's found a way to do that. And along the way, bring some stories to light we may have um, necessarily forgot about, but kind of cast to the side. And so being able to sit and chat with her was a highlight and a half. You're going to enjoy this talk. And before we get to it, just got to say, NewAmsterdam.com is a website, but if you want to support the show, you can by becoming a member of the Boisterous Crew by hitting up patreon.com slash flowbowboys. And uh, well, without further ado, Here's my chat with Dominique. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creative. It is I, Global Boys, in the mayor's office. That's why I reside. But as always, I am not alone. My guest on this episode is someone who is... I can't even say the term power journalist, being able to dig deep and uncover stories we have left behind. Dominic Carson, so glad that you're on the episode today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. I um, I was researching your work, and I, for one, am so proud of the fact that people say journalism is dying. It's dead. It's over. It's changed. It ain't the same. It's all about the emotion. But you actually are really about getting the cold, hard facts about stories that people may have forgotten about or have moved on from. Yes, because that's why I got into journalism in the first place, to dig into the facts, to deliver a story, a concise and accurate story that people can understand and maybe take something from it after reading the article. Yeah. Was that the the life's goal? Was it the dream, the, the, the childhood dream? Or did you fall into it or... That was a childhood dream. I started writing when I was eight years old, but I wanted to be a journalist at nine. Back in the days, BET had a television show called Teen Summit. And when Mm. I saw that show, I was just like, I want to be a journalist. I didn't want to be a a broadcaster. I wanted to be a print journalist. Like I knew writing had power. I know words had power. And from that day, I told my mother, my grandparents, and my fourth and fifth grade teacher, Miss Ellen Adrigato, and they were on board. They were all part of helping me make my dream come true. So this has been something I started when I was nine years old. Did you have instant support or did you have to convince them? Did people I had like, instant oh. support. 
yeah. had instant support. Um, a lot of my cousins, especially my cousin Niani and Fatima, they were like very creative influences. And my cousin Niani was already a writer. So I was always around her, um, paying attention to the topics and the books that she would read, even though she was three years older than me. And then um, their father, my uncle Ricky, was like a poet. He was a poet, a writer, a vivid storyteller. And I just loved the way he would tell stories. And that was also my inspiration. He was the one that actually told me to write and, you know, take it seriously. Yeah. Because I was going through a lot of, a lot of, you know, challenging moments in my childhood and I needed something to write down my thoughts and my feelings and writing became that outlet. It was like therapeutic medicine for me in a sense. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this before we went live. You're from Brooklyn as well. Uh, yes. you know, represent New York. I mean, that, that's a different kind of upbringing. It's very unique to a lot of people. Like to someone to understand what that means day to day. I mean, can you shed some light from your experience? Well, it's funny that you said it because where I come from, it was like, after you graduate from high school, you go to college or you get a job. And right. then when you get a job, you apply for the city, the state positions, and you apply for the post office. I'm like, I did not want to do any of those things. I knew that I wanted to go in a route that was more creative. And I knew that in order for me to be a journalist, I had to go to college. Like I had to go to school. And um, once my, my family, especially like my grandparents and my mother, they saw like, this is what something I really wanted to do. My mother was more focused on the technical skills, like the grammar, the delivery, because I was hearing impaired as a child. So when you're hearing impaired, your speech is already delayed um, mm. for four years of not being able to talk so that we had extensive speech services. And then when my grandparents, they subscribed different magazines for me to read, to learn different writing styles. There were different journalists I had to know. And then my cousins, like I said, my cousin Iyani, I, I looked at all the authors that she was reading. Like she would read the Judy Blooms and the V.C. Andrews, but on the same token, she was reading like Gwendolyn Brooks and Alice Walker and Bert, Bernice, Mc, um, Bernice McFadden and Connie Briscoe. Those are the authors that we were reading. So I had a wide range of that. And then my mother was an educator. So I mm -hmm. had to read um, right after I finished my homework. I couldn't watch TV during the week. Yeah. So after homework, I was reading for like an hour and then two hours in the summer. So I had a lot of extensive yeah. work as far as me, especially because I really wanted to be a writer. So you had this path in your mind, the mind's eye, the vision. Um, I bet that must have been a little bit of a, a I don't say a clash, but there's different people around your age with different goals and different dreams. Was that Were you seen as being a little bit odd being in that path from so early yes. to know what you wanted to do? Yes, I was very odd. People were looking at me like, <laughs> how do you know where you want to be at nine years old? Like, yeah. Like, and I was still a kid. Like I was still, I was a tomboy. So I was still one of those kids that would, you know, hang out with my cousins, play street football. I was a tomboy. Yeah. But I just knew that writing was for me at that age. Like I just knew that I can use this to help me express myself. And at times I would, you know, be by myself to write down my thoughts and my feelings and, and allow me to use those creative juices. And I really didn't care. And my grandmother was like the person that's like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather her do that than, you know, be disrespectful and wild and people have to come to me and complain. Like yeah. she was that person that really embraced that for me. So 
And even though you your professional work is more uh, nonfiction, do you do creative writing as well? Is that kind of a, yeah? Uh, I, I actually that's how I got started into writing. I was doing creative writing back in elementary school and middle school. I was doing poetry. Poetry was like poetry and short stories were the introduction to my writing. Okay. And then yeah. journalism <laughs> came when I was in high school. Like I wrote my first published article when I was sixteen. So for those seven years, it was like writing about all different forms of writing, creative writing, expository writing, um, narrative writing, like just all different phase or different realms of writing. Yeah. Make sure you're well-rounded as much as you can be. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, I know every writer has all and above, but like, what is like your set of tools you go to first? Are you a handwritten note person? Do you use apps? Do you have a, a method for different situations? Um, well, for me, well, apps will help me. Like I do creative workshops. Okay. I go to different conferences. I look up different um, things allow me to work on my mechanics more. So just to, you want to, because if people have to understand writing is a craftsmanship, you can never be too comfortable. Like you can use, you can lose your skills with that frame of mind. And that's something that I strive to do within the last 20 years. And like I said, early in the interview all the years of being hearing impaired mechanics was always like a satisfactory component for me so i knew that i had to work twice as hard and that was mm -hmm. a reality check when i was a freshman in college i had a b plus on my paper and the professor <laughs> broke it down to me he's like you're 94 in content but your mechanics is a b minus he add oh. those up and divided by two and that was my grade Wow. So I knew that I really had to step up my mechanics a great deal. Yeah. A writing is a muscle, they always say. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did more of a creative writing myself. Uh, not, to make, not to make this about me, but I did creative writing myself. And uh, now I, in the comedy space, I like to write my, my all my jokes by hand first. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I may put things on screen or on a screen to save it in the cloud or whatever. But there's always something mm -hmm. cool about having that tactile feel of the first time seeing like, okay, does that make sense? Do I, would I yeah. say it like this? You know, have yeah. it in your hands and it has committed memory. But uh, let, let's talk about John B. Are you still down? I remember this joint at a couple <laughs> house parties back in the day. Uh, but it is a whole, it's a book that you went into the deep dive career to life I and did. times of this R&B star. Now, before we talk about the book itself, what was the inciting incident? What made you go, this guy needs a book about him? <laughs> like, what, what drew you to his story? Um, John B. is one of my favorite artists of all time. I'm a 90s baby. I grew up in the 90s. I had a lot of family that were older. So a lot of my cousins, when I was like five, six, seven years old, they were either in their preteens or their teenagers. So I remember like people having posters of Drew Hill and Usher, like when they were first coming out. And then my cousin, once again, Iani, um, we like, we just around each other a lot so much. So one day Nickelodeon had Snick back in yeah. the days. I'm really showing my age right now. Snick. Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night. That was our Saturday night for kids. And John B was performing that day. And I think it was like a repeat of the episode or a marathon or something. And I said, who is this white kid? Like, who is this guy singing? And I just love the voice. And this is mm -hmm. before They Don't Know came out. This is still when he was singing Pretty Girl. 
And then when he came out with the second album, Cool Relax, I saw the video Don't Say on BET's Planet Groove. And I was like, yes, I want to buy this guy's CD. I didn't understand (laughs) the content. I didn't care. And I remember three CDs that were coming out that day when John was, um, the second album came out. It was Usher's My Way. It was Mariah Carey's Butterfly and John B. Cool Relax. And my mother, we went to Sam Woody. Huh? 94, 95? 97. This is 97 now. So for my seventh birthday, I wanted John B. CD. So we, my mom and I, we went to King's Plaza. That's when they still had Sam Goody. Yes. (laughs) Sam Goody. (laughs) And um, I remember her telling me, you only could pick one of the CDs that you want. And I picked John B. And then a week later, she got me Usher, and then my, my grandmother got me Mariah Carey, Butterfly, Aww. for my birthday. Yeah. When I saw that album cover, Cool Relax, I wanted John B. And then f- fast forward, I interviewed him as a journalist now. Okay. And that was, a, that was an amazing experience, like six minutes of that interview, but his energy was just so powerful. Like, it was so chilled. It was so laid back very humble, very appreciative of fans, has no problem giving props to forefathers of R&B. And I just felt like John does so much for the culture. Like this is a guy that stayed true to himself, that stayed true to the principles of R&B. And a lot of Caucasian artists, unfortunately, they have to cross over to pop when they're not getting the success that they originally want in R&B. And John didn't do that. And that struck me alone. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to write a biography on John B. Yeah. And and so you had the sit-down interviews uh, with John already. Mm-hmm. And they probably went back to some follow-ups. The question I have, though, is, is describe the process of taking this like raw material of the interviews mm-hmm. of, of him and other people around him and distilling that to a structure for a biography. Okay. So... Prior to the pandemic, I was already working on the the biography of John B. I just finished my first book. It was already issued, copyright, edited, but I couldn't release it publicly because I needed permission for the music distribution company to release the lyrics. So that book had to be shelved. So I accepted that. And then I really wanted to write this book on John B. So I was already starting the research process. I was looking up you know, the interview I did, interviews he did back in the days, um, listening to the albums again, and then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, my other career, massage therapy, was affected a great deal. So yeah. everything was shut down. And my fiance really encouraged me. He was like, Won't you just take this time to write the book? And I was like, are you serious? Like, we got this going on. And he's like, don't worry about that. Just really take the time to publish the book. And once again, like I told you before, support is everything, you know, as a creative. And the fact that he gave me the opportunity to allow me to create, you know, write my, my book during this crazy time, I was done with the book in three months. Wow. Wow. Three months. Yeah. They, uh, how many hours a day? Or is it kind of like weekend thing? I was thing doing two hours was... a day. Two hours a day, maybe six, eight different drafts before I sent to an editor that mm-hmm. I know. And she edited my first book. It was my friend and editor, Emily Timmerman. We went through a, um, a media production workshop with Samson Styles. 
um, one of the prolific journalists in urban entertainment. We met, we stayed in touch and she was like, I'll edit your book. And I paid her and I contact my old high school classmate. He did the cover of the book, Stephen Davis. We reconnected again on Instagram. We signed the papers digitally and he did the book, the yeah. cover of the book. And and I assume that John B has written, read a draft of it? I We sent one to John B. We just waiting to hear back from his team if he actually read the book, but we mailed uh, uh, um, a copy, but he he gave he gave us a shout out on his social media when the book first came out. So yeah, so imagine that though, set, sending away that draft. Like man, I hope I hope it's with his blessing. It's it's out of love, but you really don't know how they're going to interpret that. Mm -hmm. Like was that crazy? Or was it kind of like nah, it's going out anyway. It's all formality, whatever. I, I feel like when I when I sent it out, I was like, as soon as he read it, he'll know that this was a place of love and admiration because when you when you read the prologue you'll see my journey about john b how mm -hmm. john b influenced over my life you will see that and how i'm really a fan of the music and his artistry and people that have been you know that read the book said that and then it's an easy read like i wanted my first book to be an easy read so people can get an idea of my writing style and, and what I wanted to convey. And that was one of the reasons why I was hesitant to come out with the book because it was less than a hundred pages. And my editor, Emily, she was like, I'd rather you publish a book with 60 something pages with meaningful content than 200 pages of nothing. True. And she was like, the book is fine. I promise you. And I was always that type of person. Don't stroke my ego. Like, let me know, like, <laughs> this yes. ain't happening and right. she was like dominique i would not do that i'm telling you publish the book and yeah we did what's the the, the reason you think that john b is kind of falling to obscurity why, why he's not in the conversation because he was pretty much yeah you said on par the album came out the same time as ushers and all that like why mm -hmm. we talk about rb legends that time it's like oh yeah that guy I just think, you know, unfortunately with a lot of these record the record labels, the lack mm -hmm. of marketing and promotion can also get in the way. And also who relax with such a major album is with, you know, it's with the collaboration with Tupac Shakur yeah. and the song They Don't Know. A lot of the record labels, they want duplications of those second albums. And artists, they don't want to do that because they want to grow they when they want to evolve they're not the same person right. when they came out with the first and the second album and and a record label looking at profit in dollars they're not looking at your creativity your creativity is like the fourth thing on their list they're looking at record sales like mm -hmm. what is going to sell and that becomes that's when you start bumping heads with the label and yeah. it happens to a lot of artists unfortunately Sad to say, uh, I, I assume that this is still published. Uh, this yes. book, and yes. I and I have to ask for those for those of us who are listening to New Amsterdam who are artists and authors, uh, self publishing is a valid option to release your book. And uh, I guess what was your experience? I know you had your editor with your friend, but the experience of being able to own the in the entirety of your work, having it out there for public consumption. That's why I did self publishing because I wanted creative control and I wanted more of the dollar yeah. and I'm still learning on how to market and promote a book. I even worked with a publicist that um, when I, in my journalism industry that I've able to interview and 
you know, entertainers and singers, we worked together over the years. And I was like, you know, Danielle, I'm coming out with this book. Can you help me promote it? Blah, blah, blah. And she's a publicist and I trust it. So I, you got to invest as a self-publishing, like nothing is going to come to you. You got to put yourself out there and I'm still learning on how to market, but I see the feedback that I've been getting about the book is pretty dope, but I, that's why I did self-publishing because I knew it was going to be less expensive sure. and I did it with Amazon Kindle um, publishing also known that it was originally known as created um, create space because I wanted that control. I wanted yeah. to, and I did the copywriting prior to that. So that was my reason why I went in the self-publishing route. And now that the book is being considered for a lot of awards and self-publishing and even the American society of journalists and authors, yeah, so. one of the things that any crafts uh, person would appreciate is a calling card, and this was this is in spades. Uh, what is next on the horizon when it comes to your book projects? Well, we're gonna I'm gonna continue to promote the book of John B. to till November, and I'm starting. I already started my research process for my forthcoming book, The Invisible Betty Boop. A mm. lot of people know that Betty Boop has been around for over 60 some years. She's last year was her 90th anniversary of the, her television debut, August 9th, um, 1930. And wow. Betty Boop has been inspired by an African-American jazz artist, Esther Jones. And a lot of people don't know that she was a child performer. Hmm. So I'm writing about, that's why it's called the Invisible Betty Boop. Because unfortunately, hitting history, it's, it, it's affected with Betty Boop and a lot of people don't like a lot of people didn't know until later in their life that she was inspired by an African-American woman. So that's what the angle I'm focusing on. So I'm doing a lot of heavy research on that. Were you a fan of the character growing up? I am. I've been a oh, fan since childhood. I was six years old. My sister's dad, he was, you know, you already know from Brooklyn, you know, we got the vendors in yeah. the street and he would have his tapes out, have his hearts trucks out and he bought the Betty Boop, um, Betty Boop VHS tape one day, and I saw her, and it was like a childhood thing. And then when I found out from, in like maybe the end of middle school going into high school, I knew that she was inspired by African American. That's what made me love her even more. Yeah. yeah. What was the original appeal? Was it the way she sang? Was it the way she looked? It was this, the the boop the doop sound, and then just <laughs> her her physique. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's for a lot of people uh, that that's kind of it was a difference there in uh, the female form. But what I like mm -hmm. about Betty, so whether or not you were a fan of the music or her shorts, um, she was very confident what she was, even though she could yes. be modest, but she knew exactly who she was, uh, what she was yes. about, and all that. It was pretty cool. Uh, do you have a release date in mind in that, or in the planning stages? Where is that currently? Well, we're still we're still researching. And I'm still doing the research process. So hopefully I will have it out by 2022. The book okay. Will be out. Wow. You're just going to be cranking them out, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Like I said, I'm still going through and I'm still going through the legal matters of my first book that was originally supposed to come out before John B. So hopefully we we're able to get the permission from the music distribution company to insert the lyrics in the first book. And it's a biography on a female R&B artist and we can't say the name, unfortunately. Absolutely. But she's popular and she's a legend. Okay, that, that kind of yeah. doesn't narrow it down. There's so many legends, but I yeah, see that's so clever. That's, I know, I know it's what she is. She's an R&B legend, that's all I could say. 
Okay, that's respect. Uh, well, is there any other thing on the personal side you have planned for the year? I know we're not just the things we create. We're also human beings, too. I mean, I know travel, uh, hang out, uh, get vaccinated. What's, what's the goal for 2021? Well, um, I'm also a massage therapist, so that's okay. another interesting career. Um, my writing and massage, I'm in two different two diversion careers that allows me to have my balance, my work life, my professional life. Um, I'm transitioning into a wife. Okay. <laughs> I will Congrats. be a wife soon enough. So my last name will change to Carter. So I'll be a Carter. Okay. And um, I'm just, I'm just very thankful that I'm just here um, during the pandemic. You know, I, I know I lost a lot of people last year um, I lost my cousin, unfortunately, to gun violence last year. So it 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 makes you appreciate what you have and take advantage of every opportunity because nothing is is granted to you. That's true. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things that you you think about days are long, but years are short, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you got something in your belly, that fire to keep pushing through. But uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being on this episode of New Amsterdam Radio. Now, here's the fun part. You got to tell the people how they can follow you, buy your books, all that stuff right <laughs> here, right now. Okay. So the John B. book, John B., Are You Still Down, is available on goodreads.com and amazon.com. I'm also on Instagram, Dom Carson 90. My Twitter is Dom Carson. My Facebook is facebook.com slash DMC 922. And my LinkedIn is Dominique M. Carson. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. 